Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Starship Podcast Warlock. My name is Drew. My name is Jeff. And we are on the third episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the 1981 TV series. Um, almost halfway through, um, and it, it's uh, it's quite a ride so far. Uh, There's some brilliant parts. There are some pretty terrible parts. Uh, some great casting, some not so great casting. And uh, yeah, it's been pretty interesting. Are you enjoying it so far, Jeff? The, I'm enjoying the experience parts of, of watching it, not necessarily yeah, the show itself. I, I'm enjoying uh, I'm enjoying parts of it, like you said, and uh, I am curious now that we're getting into what I feel like is the meat of the series. I mean, knowing what's going forward, like I, I suspect things will get. Um, We'll get sufficiently more interesting in this part, and uh, we'll see if that holds. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing things really uh, sort of take off, since we are in kind of a... Well, I guess we had the whole uh, improbability sequence last time, but otherwise it was just kind of getting from one ship where they were wandering around corridors to the other ship where they were wandering around corridors. So we'll see how that goes. And I'm I'm curious, like I don't remember how Slarda Bardfest comes out in this one, so I'm very curious to see how yeah. uh, how that works. It's it's been a while. Yeah, uh, they've got quite a ways to go in just about four episodes, so this is going to be yeah. interesting. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is the uh, other actors in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, other than Douglas Adams, who appears. I, four, five, six times in various forms. Uh, there's actually a list. Uh, he's in the pub in episode one. He walked naked into the ocean in episode two. Uh, he, in the same episode, he appeared as the basis for the illustration of Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings, the worst poet in the galaxy. I forgot what her the scope of her worstness was, but I think that was... Certainly close. Uh, and then he also is in the Encyclopedia Galactica, apparently, in the last episode. And he appears in this episode, but I will not spoil it by saying where. Uh, and, of course, in some of these cases, he's appearing as an illustration of himself. But you know who it is. Oh, so, we know. We <laughs> so know. we have talked about Douglas Adams, the naked man and writer of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, so now let's talk about the actor-actors. Uh, let's start with Simon Jones, who plays Arthur Dent. Uh, and as always, uh, just to cite our sources, we are using a venerable and uh, authoritative work of reference, in this case, Wikipedia. So uh, you, too, can play along with this at home if you have access to Wikipedia. Uh, just open it up to the appropriate page and scan along with us. If you get to it before we do, take a drink. <laughs> Ooh, you're going to be hammered. Um, okay, mm -hmm. so, yeah, uh, just taking a look at, at what Simon Jones has done. Of course, we have seen him before uh, as part of this podcast. Uh, as you pointed out, he was Sir Walter Bloody Raleigh in uh, Blackadder uh, 2. Yeah, Blackadder 2. Yes, Potato. Yes. Uh, our second favorite episode overall. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. So what else has he done? Uh, Brideshead Revisited he was in, uh, which uh, I don't know why that sticks in my head, but I remember being a kid and seeing PBS playing Brideshead Revisited. And for some reason, it sounded to me like Brideshead Revisited. 
<laughs> and I was just picturing this guy who, who went around visiting brides, uh, which, you know, probably made more sense to me then than the actual title. But uh, it was a big thing very, very briefly, I think. That's kind of funny because when I heard the title, I assumed at, at, at a similar age that uh, that was somehow somebody like slicing the head off of brides. Oh, and my like, God. You know, and, you know, uh, I guess visiting their heads on pikes at some point every once in a while. So they were revisiting them. I... Maybe this should be our season four so we can finally understand what this thing is about. Yeah, I don't know. Um... I even have the novel on my shelf and I, I haven't read it. So mm. uh, as you pointed out, he was in Downton Abbey as King George V. In the film, the film yeah. Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. I don't know what relationship that bears to the TV series, but he was in it. I've seen I have seen the first three series, um, but I haven't gone beyond that. I think I saw it to the point where um, I suppose this is all right. Spoilers if you haven't watched the show and are planning on watching it, but um, where essentially the leading man gets basically killed by a car because he wanted to be written out of the show, I think, and have a movie career. Uh, so that's as far oh as I've God. seen. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so much for fiction being carefully planned. Mm-hmm. So well, apparently <laughs> Simon Jones I, has had uh, minor roles. Uh, I guess he was in Meaning of Life. Um, a couple of kind of side projects of Pythons, including Brazil and 12 Monkeys. I don't remember him uh, from any of these things, but I believe that he is in I mean. Yeah, I think just minor bits. You know, it, it it as it points out that you know he met Douglas Adams uh, in uh, in Cambridge and and mm-hmm. did this uh, um, this little show called Out of the Trees, which which had this one bit with the last um, the the uh, the home life of Genghis Khan, from which uh, the Prosser resides in the um, in the uh, book version of Hitchhikers uh, go on a little bit further, where where supposedly he's the um, He's the uh, descendant of Genghis Khan, but uh, mm. um, little bits and pieces on that. Um, I, I'm struck by, you know, apparently he did a lot of stuff in Broadway, and and uh, I think the bit that uh, both of us were were excited about was that uh, <laughs> he played Moon in the Real Inspector Hound, which is a role that Drew played when in college when both of us played Bird Boot and Moon respectively, mm-hmm. uh, and the 15 minute Hamlet, which. Um, which we were both in as well, apparently, as Hamlet. The two of them played together, interestingly enough. Um, and it mentions a bunch of other stuff. School for Scandal. Um, he did a version of Blythe Spirit with, which, uh, with uh, Angela Lansbury and Rupert Everett. Um, uh, interesting. And was nominated for the 1990 Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Feature Actor and Play for his role in Privates on Parade, which... Um, I've seen that there is a, a there's a film version with John Cleese, which unfortunately I didn't really care for very much. But I mean, that was a while ago. I might I might have liked it more now, I suppose. Um, and then in regional theater, as the man in chair and drowsy chaperone in in Massachusetts, that that caught my eye. Uh, big fan of that show. It is surprising to me that he's done relatively well. It does say partial filmography. Yeah. Um, that he's done relatively little uh, on-screen acting mm. as opposed to theater. Oh. We, we left out the fact that, of course, in the um, uh, in the movie that uh, we shall not name here, of course, he <laughs> uh, appears in a, a very minor role as a floating head of the 
uh, answering machine on uh, on planet Magrathia, uh, which I thought he did very well for his little bit. And I will say <laughs> that I squeed in the theater when he showed up. If you're looking for the credit, it credits him as ghostly image, hmm. which I, I think is a nice thing to name someone. Oh yeah, that's, my name's that's Image. Always, ghostly Image. It was like. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it does though look like he has done a lot more, uh, theater and kind of like, uh, quick appearances. And I think the reason that surprises me is I, I, I think he's actually quite a good actor in the things that we've seen him in. Uh, oh yeah. I he, enjoy him quite yeah. a bit. So um, I don't know, maybe he just was married to the theater and he decided to, uh, uh, concentrate on doing that as opposed to trying to do yeah. TV and movies. Interesting. Uh, some of the other stuff it notes um, uh, that apparently in the West End at one point he was playing the role of uh, Emperor Joseph II in Amadeus oh. with Rupert Everett, so that the Jeffrey Jones part, um, which I could definitely see him doing. And then it says a BBC radio appearance in um, Good Omens. So I'm oh. and directed by Dirk Maggs and a Doctor Who episode with Tom Baker. And so I'm I'm very curious to know. Um, which character? Like I could see him playing Aziraphale very easily. Mm. I mean, that that's that's about as close to a um, Arthur Dentish role, I guess, as you can consider for that. Um, I'm trying to think what, what I didn't realize he was on in Doctor Who. That's uh, I mean I'm in um, on radio or on I don't know if it's Big Finish I assume, uh, but it does say with Tom Baker. Oh, I see. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Interesting. So that's Simon Jones. Let's take a look at what's going on with David Dixon, our Ford prefect. Um, and I actually know, because I looked him up, um, feeling like I... Again, someone I'm sort of surprised I haven't seen more, but uh, it looks like he's done a fair number of things, but not a lot that I've seen. He played Ariel in The Tempest is the most interesting thing to me, right before Hitchhiker's. Hmm. Uh, which I can sort of see, but uh, it is it is unusual to think of Ford uh, in a leotard um, doing magic for uh, Prospero. Seeing Ford as as sprightly, I guess. Yeah, that's an mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, considering the fact that you know we've kind of referred to him as kind of a doctorish character, which is interesting in its own regard in terms I mean, of how it's played. Granted, I have no idea how he played it, but uh, um, I according mean. To Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Because uh, I, I have another topic once we get to it, so finish. Oh, okay. Finish well, I was just going to say, in this particular production, it looks like uh, Nigel Hawthorne was in it as Stefano. Andrew hmm. Sachs from Faulty Towers was Trinculo. Yes. Uh, who else do we recognize here? Those are the main names that I'm seeing, which I think is um, interesting. The, the thing I was most curious about was that... Um, uh, that he had a role in Rock Follies, and Rock Follies is one of those um, one of those names that I've noticed, you know, that I haven't seen. But uh, it's interesting how many um, actors that we would think of from from Hitchhikers and similar things that ended up in it. Rock Follies was this, uh, as I was looking up, this this musical drama that was shown on British TV in the '70s. The ups and downs of a female rock band called Little Ladies uh, that starred, um, among other things, uh, Julie Covington. Uh, which is interesting, you know, recorded the original version of Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, on the concept album, hmm. for uh, and uh, Rula Lenska, who, of course, among other things, pops up in uh, in Hitchhikers in the radio series in uh, both the uh, 
the second season and later on as the voice of the the bird slash the uh, the revised book towards the end. Um, and it's interesting seeing who else is listed in here um, uh, in Rock Follies. Bob Hoskins, one mm. Stephen Moore, which I guess we'll get to in a moment. Um, and Dennis Lawson, a.k.a. Uh, Wedge from uh, from Star Wars, and Little Nell <laughs> for you Rocky Horror fans. So that's a... Uh, oh um, apparently Tim Curry had a, a minor appearance in it. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, David Dixon's and Simon Jones had, um, had uh, parts in it, apparently. So... Wow. Um, I- yeah, I mean, minor minor parts, but it's it's fascinating how many people walked through there at one point or another. Again, it's it's late seventies, so it's um, you know again quite an interesting crossover there. Um, I don't I I don't think I've ever really heard much about this, if if at all. Yeah, this I mean, it, it normally again like Don't Panic, History of Hitchhikers. I mean, like the title pops up all over the place, but um, in in mentions, but. Uh, I mean, it, it almost sounds a little bit like, um, I mean, just, you know, I, I don't know, fictional band type stuff. You know, you figure there's there's a lot more, um, uh, there, there's a lot more documentaries and things that have come along since then. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's actually, the songs are written by Andy McKay, a founder member of Roxy Music. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, fascinating. It's wild. Um, yeah, so I would be curious to see this someday. Uh, maybe at some point we'll do a uh, Starship Podcast <laughs> Warlock on it. I, I don't think I it's mean, it's that. Oh, it and, and, the, and the other important thing, the executive producer, Verity Lambert. Oh, my God. How funny. For you Doctor Who fans, yeah. Um, well, since you brought up Stephen Moore, I've just flipped over to his entry in our Tome of Truth here. And uh, it says he, in Rock Follies, he played Jack left-wing teacher and morose husband of singer Anna, the role can be seen as a prototype for Marvin. So that's interesting. Well, it's, it's interesting. Marvin, I, I know that supposedly when you talk about, or, you know, Douglas Adams had talked about who they approached for certain roles. Like for the book, he said he wanted a Peter Jonesy type voice, and then they just went and got Peter Jones. Uh, Stephen Moore was somebody that I think they said to some extent um, uh, kind of... I, I think bits of him kind of embodied the character, so they thought of that in my in in mind. I don't know when they wrote it versus just once they wrote it and said, "Oh my God, that's uh, that's for him." So that's that's interesting for him as a uh, prototypical. And of course, he pops up in um, in Doctor Who in um, uh, in uh, um, one of uh, Matt Smith's episodes uh, as a Silurian. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yes. Uh, but uh, and I don't think you see any evidence of of his you know eorness for lack of a better word. But um, he, Not he as did such, yeah. Yeah, he did quite a quite a bit. I guess he was in the new Avengers an episode, and um, he was in uh, Thin Blue Line, which uh, if you have ever seen that show was a uh, um, was a comedy about British police, which uh, starred Rowan Atkinson. Um, in the in the nineties. Keep 90s. forgetting about that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then also starred I think one of our favorite little. Uh, bit characters um, that pops up in the third season of uh, Abfab. Uh, I don't know. I'm just caught up in the drama. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, that that um, the that guy, there? the the uh, the hairdresser or uh, from the the sex episode of Abfab. I know who you um, mean. What's the connection? He's 
he's one of the co-stars of the Thin Blue Line. Oh, 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 right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and 1995, so literally right around the time that uh, that, that episode of AbFab aired. So, <laughs> uh, and apparently, back to Stephen Moore, he was in. Um, he was a guest in an episode of A Bit of Fry and Laurie. Oh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I must have seen that then, but I don't remember too well. Yeah. Uh, he was also Adrian Mole's dad <laughs> in the series of that, which I've never seen, but I do remember reading those books as a kid mm. uh, and then promptly have forgotten everything about them just about. But uh, uh, 1981, at Cousin Jasper in Brideshead Revisited. <laughs> Brideshead Revisited, yep. <laughs> <laughs> And Professor Calculus in the BBC radio dramatization of The Adventures of Tintin. Of Tintin. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, before we make the whole episode reading Wikipedia to people, let's move on to Mark Wing Davy. Ah, yes. Um, and they actually do cite it here. This makes me very happy. That The first thing that I managed, uh, I remember seeing him in that was not Hitchhikers, was uh, there is a show uh, by James Burke, who was kind of a... a um, who would talk about the history of, of technology and, and uh, he, he did shows like The Day the Universe Changed and Connections, how this one change led to this change and this led to this change and this brilliant, brilliant series. And we actually, I'd watched it home and, on um, PBS, but I'd also seen it, they, they had us watch it in, um, uh, in high school, a couple of episodes. And mm. the one that I remember, and I don't, I don't remember what it was, but it was probably talking about the invention of the longbow uh, because they had... Uh, they, they had uh, somebody doing the St. Crispin's Day speech uh, mm-hmm. from Henry V. And, uh, and who is being Prince Hal? But, uh, but Mark Wing Davy, you know, playing it completely straight, dressed up. And, and again, I don't think it was taken as part of anything. They just had him doing uh, the St. Crispin's Day speech, utterly, utterly serious. And, like, I burst out giggling, and nobody else in that classroom knew why. <laughs> oh, my God. I, it, it's so hard for me to imagine him... Uh, being a serious actor. Um, there, there's, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I sure mean, it, he is. It's, it's just because he is so ridiculous as Zaphod. Uh, it's, it's just so hard to picture Zaphod playing Henry the, Henry the fifth. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. Um, you know, so it cites here the fact that, uh, he had a featured role in the 1976 miniseries glittering prizes where I think he played like a used car salesman or something, which again is a case where, where Douglas Adams kind of had him in mind for, uh, for Zaphod. Mm-hmm. Um, um uh, he's got he's got some other stuff here but there's not a lot well the th- the thing I, I I got excited about it I mean even though I wasn't involved very much it says May 2008 uh, New York Tisch School of the Arts announced that Mark McDavid has been named chairman of an arts professor in the school's graduate acting program mm-hmm. I'm like hot damn I'm going back to school and I, I know several people that went to Tisch so I'm like uh, oh. damn uh, that would be exciting and um he can see. Oh yeah, in 2013, he conceived and directed William Shakespeare's Pericles, Prince of Tyre, at Berkeley Rep, uh, which I, I was I was in a production of uh, of Pericles um, only a, a few years before that, and that's one of those shows that um, most people don't really know Pericles that much. But like um, I, I the uh, and only half of it we think is really written by Shakespeare, but the um, uh, the brothel scenes are hilarious, and and I, I very much like that show. I'm trying to remember if I've actually been to Berkeley Rep. How could I have lived there so long and never been there? It's um, funny. I I, yeah. I have I've been there, but I haven't seen Shakespeare. I saw um, Lady Windermere's Fan, if I remember correctly. Mm. There, I think that's the only one that we managed to go see. But yeah, I, I guess someone else who is uh, at least has one foot on the stage, if not 
one and a half feet. I don't mm-hmm. know how that would work. And, um, and an accountant in Absolutely Fabulous, really, which episode? <laughs> we'll have to go back and find that one. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so I just want to talk about Sandra Dickinson and Peter Jones and then get into ah, yes. watching this, this show. Uh, Sandra Dickinson, of course, playing Trillian. She's an American-born British acts, actress. Uh, has often played characters who fell into the trope of a dumb blonde with a high-bitched voice. And I, I still find that to be such a shame. Um, she is also, of course, the ex-wife of Peter Davison, uh, the fifth Doctor Who. And uh, Georgia Tennant is her daughter with Peter Davison. And uh, Georgia Tennant, of course, not only played a clone of the Doctor <laughs> on on uh, the actual show, but of course has married David Tennant, the 10th Doctor. So there's a whole cluster of Doctor Who uh, not quite incestuousness here. (laughs) Timey-wimey. So that's fun. Uh, Let's see, what else do we have here? Um, Uh, You were a fan of the Tomorrow People, I believe. I, uh, I didn't get much of a chance to watch it, but I seem to remember you were excited about it. Yeah, I still actually have to go back and watch the whole yeah. thing because I've I've not seen all the episodes, but it is it is a uh, rock bottom budget science fiction show, um, and and often very childish, but with such a fun premise to me that uh, that I always liked it as a kid. Apparently, um, she was the titular character in one episode, and uh, Peter Davison played her on screen brother. Yes. <laughs> wow, we're talking Lannister territory here. Yeah, well, they weren't married at the time, but well, no, I know. Uh, but yeah, and I've seen I've seen stills of that episode, and it is everything you can imagine it would be. Huh. Uh, it's uh, I, I guess that Douglas Adams was impressed with her during the screen test, and that's why she's been cast uh, as Trillian in this. And also, apparently, he asked her to use her natural voice and accent. But it also says citation needed, so who knows? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's so weird. It seems it seems very odd. I mean, um, you know, Sue Sheridan was so was so perfect that, um, yeah. It, I, I don't know why why he would have decided that, but I mean, you know, I guess that's his that was his prerogative. But it's not something I would have guessed at all. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's see. I'm just going through some of the rest of this. Just got kind of uh, a a checkerboard of of different things here. Uh, Cameos, voice acting, <laughs> the voice of Bitchin' Betty, the truck's computer in the 1996 comedy film Space Truckers. Oh no, it was the one right underneath oh it that I grimaced at. <laughs> the U.S. voice trumpets in the PBS version of Teletubbies. That's amazing. Uh. Although I do like this also cameo appearance in Superman 3 as the wife of a man who puts a grapefruit in her face after seeing the size of a bill from Bloomingdale's. <laughs> a grapefruit? Good lord. I don't know, that seems like a James Cagney reference almost. His famous bit of smashing the grapefruit in... Um, Bizarre. In oh, and she was three three bounty hunters in the British-Canadian Disney XD animated series Counterfeit Cat. Is it weird that that's the one I probably want to see? <laughs> Counterfeit yep. Cat is such a great title. Um, all right, let's let's keep going. Uh, we have one more 
character. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, uh, oh. One other one other note. I don't know if you saw it at the very bottom. In 2014, she understudied Angela Lansbury in the West End production of Blythe Spirit, co-starring Simon Jones. Mm, okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, let's move along. Anyway. All right. Yeah. So Peter Jeffrey Francis Jones, the book. Uh, I, what I'm curious about with him is, is what is it that made him a household name to the point where Douglas Adams would say we want a Peter Jonesy type of voice. And I guess, well, maybe it's just that he uh, had been acting for so long. Uh, he's certainly older than a lot of the other actors. Well, I, here. I also imagine it's the timbre of the voice and the fact that, you know, I mean, it sounded like a respected authority, I suppose. But, um, well, my point is, why did he know this voice well enough to be like, I want mm -hmm. that guy? Yeah, Mervyn Bunter in the BBC Radio 4 adaptation of Dorothy L. Sayers' Lord Peter Whimsey series. Maybe that um, was it? Oh, could be. Oh, well, regular contestant on the panel game, just a minute. Um, between 52 and 55, Jones starred along Peter Ustinoff in the BBC Radio series In All Directions. Um, uh, featured them in a car in London perpetually searching for Copthorne Avenue. Um comedy derived from characters they met along the way, often played by themselves, unusual for the time in which it was largely improvised. Uh, which, which is hmm. funny, because, you know, you picture something that's improvised for that. You you, you picture somebody that that is kind of, I mean, from what they're describing and improvising their own characters, you picture them kind of off the wall. I, I You know, again, I think of the Goon Show in the 50s as, as uh, you know, uh, really more anarchic than, than Python in its own way. Uh, and But, you know, when I think of Peter Jones as a voice, I think of him as being very very you know stuffy and respected and 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 no nonsense and mm -hmm. you get the sense occasionally when he's reading the book part part of my amusement in that fact is when he's reading it it almost sounds like it's consternation at what he's reading like he doesn't necessarily even he's trying to make it sound believable and, and that <laughs> and, and that's part of what cracks me up about it like it's mm -hmm. not it's not that he's sounding its authority that's the it, it just it, there's an element of surprise and trying to sound authoritative uh which is why his voice works so well for me it is it is perfect like i mean he is just uh, there's so much expression right. in in this and i think that i i can't imagine it working with anyone doing less than it's, what he was doing like it would just be so dull well jokes or i mean not, but you know they, they had so william much. i mean they had william franklin do the voice of the book for the later series when peter jones died and they found some good way from good excuse that the guide is being updated to kind of change the voice and what have you and and he was good but it's just uh it's just that voice uh, i think there was a story where where um and i think it's in don't panic where um stephen moore ran into peter jones on the street and and peter had finished filming his part and or you know recording his part for the radio series and he said something like um I've just done this this series where like I, I never met any of the other actors and I have no idea what the hell I'm saying or or what it has to do with anything. And Stephen responded, "Oh yes, I expect that's the thing that I'm in." <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> On that note, uh, we will now close the book of Wikipedia. Um, we will move along to uh, actually watching this show. We will take a short interlude so that we can introduce a break in the program so that if you uh, don't want to hear this you can skip ahead to the show itself um, but it's too late for you because you're you're listening to this now and that means you probably heard the whole 
27 minutes and counting of us uh, talking about the other actors. So that's fun. I will go ahead and mention at this point as well, there is some kind of party happening in an apartment very close by. So if you hear artifacts of that on this recording, I apologize. I think that just about covers it. We'll be back right after this. Alright, it is time now for us to watch episode 3 of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, as you obviously know by now, we're going to count down 3, 2, 1, play, and we will all begin the episode at the same time on the word play and watch it together. Jeff, are you ready? I am. Alright, here we go. 3, 2, 1, play. I like how it opens with a whoosh, which is exactly what Doctor Who was doing at this particular time. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Doctor Who-ish. Yeah, it is very Doctor Who now that I look at it. Except it's going in the wrong direction, I think. Doctor Who. Uh, here come the words. They're going to get us. Nope, they're going up. Join us, won't you? Oh, here's Slutty. Ah, Richard cast. Vernon. Okay, good. So, same casting. What, like, um, Trantor? <laughs> it's cold outside. There's no kind of atmosphere. <laughs> Is that Hasselhoff? Stunt Chunkman. Debbie Harry? Oh, <laughs> It's Qbert. Nibbler. Beef hard chunk. <laughs> Rick hard slab. <laughs> Big McLarge huge. <laughs> Rich. It's a different version of dull than I'm aware of. <laughs> the kid gets bored with interesting things. <laughs> Belushi abides, man. Belushi abides. <laughs> you no, can fix it in post.
This is a jawbreaker. Meringue. Everlasting gobstopper. <laughs> Boomerang. <laughs> Even phoning us up costs a packet. To sulk in silent silence in a dull dark dock. I almost forgot about the mice. I always like the phrase personality problems. <laughs> Just so cuddly. <laughs> I wonder if that's her real voice. Has anyone in this family ever seen a chicken? <laughs> what? Uh, I got nothing. love this. An innocent sperm whale. Huh. I feel like the upper arm thing misses a misses a joke. Really? Well, he's supposed to have Zephod's supposed to have three arms. Uh. So the joke of an upper arm is because it's not the upper part of an arm, it's an upper arm of the three. 
due to COVID. <laughs> Help me, Slaughter Bartfast. You're my only hope. <laughs> They cut the middle announcement, which I kind of like, but oh well. Yeah. That usually gets cut in the later versions. Here are some drawings. It's a floating restaurant. <laughs> it's interesting, that's time inflation because it was only 30 seconds in the original. Worst twister ever. <laughs> You know, I can't watch Carousel anymore without thinking of Eddie singing the song. Oh my God. Look, you can't marry a doctor without knowing something like that. <laughs>
I don't see that on this. Oh, there it is. You'll have to wait two more books for that. <laughs> really, did we need that shot? Marvin Bender crossover. <laughs> it is a bit. Mm.
Oh, look, rocks. So did we entirely skip the whole um, Nutramat vending machine thing? Uh, that's later. Later? Uh, yeah. That's Gag Halfrunt uh, and the Vogons trying to clean up their mess. That's when they end up phoning up uh, Zaphod's great-great-grandfather. Oh, yes. Come on, Ford. Tatooine? Androzani Major? <laughs> Are they just reusing the entire soundtrack of uh, Logopolis? <laughs> We need a calendar with all his sayings on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
It's the planet Arg. I don't remember if they actually put that in the book, but of course that featured in the um, Hitchhiker Adventure game that you actually got that as part of your swag when you bought the game. Yep. Ew. They're regenerating. <laughs> there are those who call me Tim. White Guardian, Black Guardian, <laughs> Decrepit Guardian.
<laughs> I love that sequence. What an eccentric performance. <laughs> No, I'm mine. <laughs> that looks relaxing. Well, go down the hole. <laughs> Welcome to Spaceship Earth. I love Douglas Adams' first attempt at the name. He wanted something that sounded filthy, but wasn't. The original <laughs> attempt was farty fuckballs. <laughs> that, that is dirty. Yeah, which is why he didn't use it. But. Douglas Adams. Uh-huh. I love the fact that it's the American anthem as opposed to, you know, God Save the Queen or right. Rupertania or something like that. So it's big, bigger on the inside.
<laughs> Another weird cliffhanger. Tell me about it. I don't know if the fact that they held episode one back had something to do. Although episode two, I think, ended at just the right place, if I remember correctly, because episode three starts with them looking for Magrathea, so. I don't know. All right. Well, that was. Well, I'm glad hmm. we had that settled. Funny. I thought it was Zaphod. Anyway. Um. <laughs> uh, well, we'll be right back after the musical interlude to discuss this episode and its merits or lack thereof. All right, it is time now for us to discuss episode three of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Jeff, what did you think? I feel like that was an uptick from the uh, from the previous ones. Uh, I, I feel like even though um, Slorda Bartfest is uh, Basil Exposition, um, I, I I enjoy his voice, and I, I feel like uh, everything gets much more interesting once I get down to the planet. Of course, you have the uh, the stuff in the beginning and you have everything, you know, that you have the, the sperm whale and the bowl of petunias. Um, uh, I don't know how well the whale sequence works, uh, visually, but, um, you know, Oh no, not again, always cracked me up to no end. <laughs> um, especially knowing what we know later on of, uh, the fact that, you know, um, it, it's brilliant the bits that Douglas Adams later mined some of these early series for, um, for later bits uh, later on. So, I mean, you know, this gets mined. Um, the throwaway line about the girl in the cafe in Rickmansworth who figures it all out uh, turns out to be Fenchurch, and then mm -hmm. So Long and Thanks for All the Fish also, of course, getting a, a mention. So I, I like the fact that um, that something that's a throwaway gag here actually gets reused later on. But it, I, I digress, um, since especially that's not in a uh, version that they ever filmed. Um, it's only in other media. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I do feel like the latter half of this um, ticks up in in, uh, in interest. Yeah, I think that it's still a little uneven for me. Like, I think the the part from where they land to uh, Lardy Bartfast showing up is a little bit tedious for me. Um, it, it, they go through all that weird business with, uh, you know, the sunglasses and the the markings and all that sort of thing. I don't know. It, mm -hmm. it just seems, and, and Zaphod's speech about going into the planet. It's like, really? You yeah. spent that much time on that. Um, but I, I would agree with you that the first part, um, all the sort of like, uh, the interplay between Ford and Zaphod and eventually Trillian and Arthur, I, I think is just much more, uh, smooth and fun than it was in the last episode where it was a little wooden well and and also you know eddie was always uh i, I loved eddie in the uh in the radio series and of course it's the same voice here but it's mm -hmm. it's interesting the fact that you know 
He's the voice of the ship, but I, I almost want a face, you know, a computerized face uh, yeah. in there somehow. Um, it's Or even, you know, when you had HAL, you at least had that red light that you could zero in on uh, for it. Um, it, there, it, it was it was kind of odd, I don't know, in that regard. Um, it's but, kind of an electric uh, but, wine cooler. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Although, wine fridge. Uh, but I, I do I do enjoy uh, Eddie. I, I I don't really think that the the backup voice works that well. But I, that gag never really cracked me up in the original either. But um, but uh, you know Eddie being the anti Marvin, it was always uh, mm-hmm. entertaining. Yeah, Marvin has some really good lines. I, I I'm I'm always fond of him saying no, I'm mine. <laughs> Arthur is asked, "Is that your robot?" Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's he he does get some really good. Uh, things in there whereas otherwise it would be a little bit dull um i if he's a manically depressed robot i don't know where the manic part comes in i don't think we've ever seen that but you know that's how it is sometimes that's true um so yeah is he paranoid is he really paranoid yeah yeah that's another weird thing about it he's not it's not that paranoid um it, it feels a little bit out of the blue that zephod is suddenly looking for magrathia and i don't remember how they bridge that transition in the book, like why he's doing that. They do explain it, don't they? Well, I mean, you know, again, in the radio series, it's kind of a jump. I mean, there's two ways I can look at it. One of them is, okay, we jump forward in time. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, now it's a, it's a new thing, you know, it's kind of starting in media res in a way, even though it's not too long past the previous episode. But of course, um, I, I think in in other media or in the book, it's kind of alluded to the fact that this is partially why he stole the heart of gold in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you know they try and put a little more of a of a mythos. Of course, if you go to the end of the um, of the second radio series, that it's implied that uh, Zephod had a bit of a hand in being involved with the Vogons and all that, and and their plot to blow up the earth, Arthur kind of runs off in a, in a huff in a way that mm-hmm. never gets resolved, of course, in that version. So it, it depends on what media you, uh, you look at, but even so, I, I don't think there's, um, uh, I, I think, you know, in the original, it was just jumping from one to the other. And to some extent you get that here, but I think, I, I think if you wanted to put in more of the backstory that that's partially why he stole the ship, then, okay, then, then you've get a little more justification, but it doesn't quite come out here, or at least not in this part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. It, it is a little bit, uh, a little bit of a jump here without a lot of, uh, clear motivation. Um, let's see, there was something else. Oh yeah, no, I was just going to agree with you about Slardy Bart fast. I think Richard Vernon's great in the role and, and he really just the crispness of his delivery and, and, uh, just the, the, the tones and everything else about the acting there, uh, is, is really fun and appealing. Um, he's, he, he goes from the kind of like grandiose exposition to the jokes so well. And it, it just all makes sense. I mean, I don't late know why I'm like the late dark <laughs> late Dent, Arthur Dent. Like, I mean, I, I don't know why I'm whack. It, it, it is jokes, but the comedy I think is really, really good. Uh, the way he plays it, which is, you know, mostly straight. Um, I love his delivery in, and I mean, it's, it's, you know, both in the radio series and here, it's very similar. It's, it's the, the line that, that gets me is the mice were furious. No, oh. <laughs> yes. uh, it's just, it, it's, it's the wonderful delivery and Arthur's reaction to that. You know, it's just that the fact he's so matter of, I, I, yeah, it, there's just something brilliant about that, even though it's fairly understated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think these parts, 
uh, are, are quite good. Uh, and I think the other thing I wanted to mention was the stuff from the guide. I think, again, it's just gold, like especially the bit about um, uh, the whole thing about the reversal of intelligence of species and, and why the dolphins uh, thought they were more intelligent than humans and same with the mice. So I, I think that's a lot of fun as well. Um, and it's, it's, I think part of the reason why this book is appealing, the series is appealing in a way that, uh, maybe some other attempts at sort of jokey science fiction aren't as much, uh, in that it does get these kind of like, uh, philosophically absurd moments, uh, peppered throughout with the, uh, with the book entries. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, again, whether it's the history of, uh, or the the non-existence of God, or um, or I mean, again, um, some of the bits where they're uh, the Vogons basically poking fun at at bureaucracy and and things along those lines. That that at, to like you said, the reversal of intelligence. Like I mean, uh, uh, he he really does like to take the piss out of um, out of certain uh, certain things, and I feel like it works it works so well. Um, it's just part of his. I mean. Yeah, that that philosophy doesn't necessarily come through on other things, which are just, uh, um, which are just slapstick. This feels like, in in a way, it's kind of about something. There's a little, um, there's little messages or little barbs there that you wouldn't get in, say, a Red Dwarf by comparison. Mm-hmm. As much as I love, as much as like some of the early Red Dwarfs, I love to uh, to death. But uh, but th- this one feels like there's a little meat beyond that. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't think of too many other uh, series quite like it, uh, and that's why it's fun to go through, even if it doesn't always lend itself really well to being television, especially on this budget. But they're doing it's their true. best. Uh, you you almost saw the other head acting in this one, so that's something. That's true. It talked back at one point. I think you know the story is that that I mean the thing malfunctioned and never worked very well anyway. So that was. Uh, um, yeah, poor poor Mark Wing Davy had to endure that for a long period of time. Like, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you hear stories about people having, you know, in Star Wars that, like, I mean, you know, R two half the time was kind of being pulled on a string, and and mm-hmm. you know, and poor Kenny Baker being in there the whole time, and you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. You know, the Star Trek doors didn't always open and close, or people walk <laughs> in their mind. But that that head is a whole other level of of oh uh, frustration, I think, for them. Well, bless them for trying. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing I just wanted to throw in real quick before we wrap up is that I like the fact that Trillian got a moment here to uh, show why she's uh, more than just the way <laughs> Sandra Dickinson plays her. Um, of course, she says it's because of the moped thing, which is cool in another level. But, uh, you know, she also, of course, has a degree in astrophysics. So. Yeah, I actually didn't care for the moped line. I feel like that undercuts the, uh, the, it does, the thing a little yeah. bit. But 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 yes, that seeing her use of astrophysics in this and and um, is greatly is greatly appreciated. Especially, let's face it, that when you get that sort of voice in the American accent, that that it sounds like it sounds like she's trying to be a ditz in the way that that uh, or or is being directed, I suppose, to to play it as a ditz. Again, she was directed to use her American accent, but I haven't heard her in too many things. But I wouldn't be too surprised, especially growing up there, if uh, spending so much time there, whatever, if she's able to affect a British accent and um, um, and and play it much uh, much differently. And so I I feel like that's really more of a directing choice than an acting choice, I suppose. 
Yeah, I truly do not understand the choices that they made regarding her character in this, but... Yeah. Oh, well. But that one little bit, I absolutely agree that... that, Mm -hmm. um, Good. I'm glad we got that. Nice they made it in. Mm-hmm. Well, that was episode three. Um, we, of course, will be doing four next time. If you'd like to uh, tell us what you're thinking about all this, uh, you can go to at Starship Warlock on uh, Twitter. There's no podcast in the middle. It's just the first word and the third word of the title. Um, send us a DM, uh, comment, just tweet at us. Whatever it is you want to do, that's the place to do it. Um, if for some reason you don't want to do it on Twitter, you can also email us inbox at starship podcast, but who uses email? Uh, I do too much at work. So, uh, that pretty much wraps it up for God and this episode of the podcast. <laughs> nice. Um, until next time, this has been Drew. This has been Jeff. And you've been listening to Starship Podcast Warlock. Warlock. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.